You are listening to an audio resource produced by Faith Presbyterian Church in Anchorage, Alaska. If you would like to learn more about the life and ministry of Faith Presbyterian, you can do so by visiting us online at faithanchorage.org. If you'd please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We'll look at the third temptation of Christ. And little theologians, the scene that is created here, you know, you drew a picture last week of the scene in the passage. Uh, The scene for this passage is that the devil wants Jesus to stand on a stage and wants Jesus to make himself famous. The devil wants Jesus to stand on a stage and make himself famous. So try and draw that picture. You should have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 4. We'll look together at verses 9 through 15. Let's pray together, and then we'll read the passage. Father, thank you for your holy scripture that teaches us. And Father, would you forgive us for looking in so many other directions for teaching? It is your word revealed to us, made known to us by your indwelling spirit, And that Spirit is present with us this morning. Father, help us to understand Your Word clearly, even despite our pastor, that You would receive all glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. The passage begins at verse 9 in Luke chapter 4. Let's look at God's Word together. And He took him to Jerusalem... And set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding countries, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Remember, this is the word of our Lord. I want to talk about fame. And it might sound as though it's, a, it's an odd subject to bring up when looking at this passage, but the topic of fame is very important. The, the word fame shows up a lot in the New Testament um, as the word uh, doxa, which means glory. And the word for glory just has this, this broad range of meaning. And it's funny, if you ask a, a, an average believer what the word glory means, it'll be very hard for them to answer that. And the reason why is because glory has to do with reputation, and uh, splendor. There's something about the, uh, the image of, of uh, brightness in the word doxa. Uh, recognition, renown, honor. 
dignity. Uh, glory is that kind of word. And so to uh, keep in your mind the idea of fame is actually helpful for this passage because this is very much what the devil is tempting Jesus with. Fame. To be the source of his own glory. To use his abilities, his gifts, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, his nature to use all of these things for his own fame. That is what the devil is tempting Jesus with. It was an interesting interview uh, less than a year ago by a comedian by the name of David Cross. And uh, he talked about this idea of fame. Uh, David Cross is around my age. He's uh, spent a lot of time in Hollywood. He is uh, certainly not a professing uh, believer, but he says some very interesting things about fame. Uh, he says, it has always been the case that people want to be famous. He says, that's not the new part. You know, he says, being famous has been important to people for, for in every age. He says, what's different about this age is that not simply being famous, uh, it's rather getting fame. And, and what he says is very provocative. He says that being famous is something that, that has always been important to people, but today getting fame is a lot easier than it used to be. It's a lot easier. Uh, he uses as an example reality TV shows. And, and uh, David says, he, uh, David Cross, he says, look, reality TV is TV that is uh, led by people who don't really have skills to be on the TV. He says it's just, it's just their very presence going about their ordinary life that actually secures fame. People have always wanted to be famous, but he says it's really easy now. It's easy to get fame now. Now, he doesn't add this, but just, just think about our online identities and how, how public we are with our Facebook comments and, and how we use these comments. We use our blogs that we might receive uh, comments, which is code word for affirmation, from others, even people we don't know. And so for David Crosby, he says, look, people always want to be famous. And, and Scripture agrees with that. In fact, David says that because uh, Scripture says it first. Everyone wants to be famous, but it's so much easier to be famous now. And I want to go just one step, step further and say not only is it easy to, easier to get fame today with technology and new media, but... Everyone is already famous. I mean, sitting right here today, you're famous, and I'm famous. We're famous to ourselves, aren't we? We're famous to ourselves. We always assume that if anything wrong has happened, it's someone else's fault. It's not me. I'm famous. I don't make mistakes. And the most important human being on the face of the earth, according to our nature, is me. I'm the most important person. The entire world revolves around me. The way I understand the world is exactly the way the world really is. If anyone differs with me, they're mistaken, I'm not. You see, you see where I'm going with this? There's, there's something about our human nature that we describe as the pollution of sin, but you can also describe as the quest for our own fame. Quest for our own fame. 
Proverbs 25, 27 says, It is not glorious to seek one's own glory. It is not glorious to seek one's own glory. And yet, this room is filled with people seeking their own glory. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, It is not the one who commends himself who is approved before God, but the one whom the Lord commends. And then Jesus Himself says in John chapter 8, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who does. Isn't that remarkable? This is John 8.50. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who does. He is the judge. God seeks the glory of Jesus. Jesus doesn't even seek His own glory. And that is what we're looking at and witnessing in this passage. And I want to offer this as the big idea of the passage, uh, that it is pleasing to God to boast in the fame of His Son, not to boast in my own fame. We please God when we boast in the fame and the glory of His Son when He is famous. That's when we are pleasing God. And I want to look at this scene in three different ways. I want us to first look at the framework of the temptation, then the direction of the temptation, and and then the purpose of the temptation. Framework, direction, purpose. The framework, first of all, it's simply this. That there is a Trinitarian partnership that has as its goal to make Jesus famous. There's this wonderful Trinitarian partnership to make Jesus famous. Uh, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Let's go back and look, a little bit of, look at a little bit of the context. Luke 3, 21 and 22 says this, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Do you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in Luke 3, uh, 21 through 22? Now look at Luke 4, 1. Luke 4, 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. We see the second and the third person of the Trinity there. And then one more passage for us. Uh, the very end of our passage this morning, Luke 4, 14 and 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified, doxa, by all. And when you look at this framework, it informs you that there is this rich relationship within the Trinity that works together so that Jesus himself would be glorified. Uh, the terminology that we use for this is we use um, the economy of the Trinity. That, that word for economy has to do with household management. I could, I, I could come to you and ask how you're managing your house. In fact, I could ask others how you are managing your house. And, and people would generally have uh, really interesting things to share. By the way, I don't do that. Right? That just opens. That doesn't help. How, yeah, how's that person managing their house? 
But that word economy has to do with the management of one's home, the roles that people satisfy in that home. And when we talk about the economy of the Trinity, we're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. Think about that household, would you? Think about that. How wonderfully cooperative all of the persons of the Trinity work. God in Luke 3, 21 through 22 actually declares his affection for his son. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And he declares that affection, but he also gives to his son the gift of the Holy Spirit that, that comes upon his son. And that Holy Spirit then uh, empowers the son, not only descending upon the son, but actually uh, fills up the Son so that the Son is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit leads the Son so that the Son can then uh, trust and obey the Holy Father. And in trusting and obeying the Holy Father, He is glorified in the world. And I don't want us to miss how the economy of the Trinity presents this beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior being cosmologically, eternally permanently glorified. That is the famous one. Jesus Christ pleases the Father, receives gifts from the Father, is led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, trusts and obeys the Father with that fullness of the Holy Spirit that He would be glorified. Now, Practically speaking, when we go out into the world, we see that most people do not glorify our Lord and Savior. But according to Matthew 25, our Lord and Savior will return and the whole world will glorify Him. And when the whole world glorifies Him, we will see that beautiful economy of the, whole, of the, of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together, that our Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross for us, that we would be saved, that all glory goes to Him. The economy of the Trinity, a well-managed household. And that's the framework of this temptation. And I'm going to refer to that framework a couple of times, but let's switch gears and look at the direction of fame. You see, the devil is going to offer to Jesus the kind of fame that uh, is directed towards self and for self. Look at verse uh, well, first of all, just the scene itself. The, the devil actually takes Jesus and he sets Jesus. Again, a very difficult scene like the scene from last week when the devil presents to Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. The devil takes Jesus, sets him on a high place. Uh, the pinnacle of the temple is what the word uh, says, but uh, many scholars wonder if maybe it's the southeast uh, top of the uh, the the, uh, the uh, portico, not the portico, the, the colonnade of King Solomon. That part of the temple is very high and it stares out over the Kidron Valley, which is 300 feet below that part of the temple. And it's very, very public. People coming in and out of the east of Jerusalem from Bethany, uh, from the Mount of Olives, would clearly be able to see that high point of the portico of Solomon. And the devil takes Jesus and he sets, them, he sets him there for all to see above a massive chasm. And before you think that the devil has way too much power over Jesus, look at verse 9. The devil says to Jesus, you throw yourself 
You throw yourself. The devil is not functioning with complete liberty in this situation. His powers are limited. He can't nudge Jesus off. He says, you throw yourself off. You have to make a decision. You have to throw yourself off. And the devil quotes Psalm 91. He says, it is written. How fascinating it is that the devil would quote Jesus, words that he's heard from Jesus not a few minutes ago, it seems. When Jesus has said to the devil, twice it is written, the devil mimics Jesus and he says, it is written, and he goes to God's word, but he does it badly. Would you please open your Bibles to Psalm 91, and let's look at this passage very quickly. The devil goes to this passage aiming for the middle of the passage, but he uh, clearly has a message that he wants Jesus to discern. And the devil goes to Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up. Now the devil goes to God's word, is aware of God's word, knows that God's Word has sway with Jesus, but he badly understands God's Word and he uses it in subjection of himself that he would twist it for his own fame. Do you see what the devil is doing? The devil is showing what fame for self looks like and he wants Jesus to also embrace fame for self. But look in Psalm 91 at verse 2. The devil skips this. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. In whom I trust. Look at verse 16. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There is an ownership of Psalm 91 that the devil skips. He skips that part. Salvation comes from God. Safety comes from God. Refuge comes from God. These things don't come from mastering our own lives. We receive these things because God gives them to us. And the devil wants Jesus to not trust God's plan. We could say it this way. The devil wants Jesus to separate himself from the economy of the Holy Trinity. Separate yourself from God the Father and God the Son. And he's saying, cash it in for public fame. You have special gifts and powers. And if you jump from this height, people will see you fall. There is actually a quote in the Mishnah. So the 400 years between the Old and New Testament, there was a body of Jewish law that was formulated. And there's a quote that says that the Messiah will be publicly famous. And the way it's described is he'll be famous because he's standing up high. It's almost like the devil knows Old Testament Scripture, but he also knows uh, Judaistic law. And he's saying, cash in on that power and that status that God has given you so that everyone will be in awe over your gifts. You'll free fall with a smile because you know what's going to happen. And the angels will protect you, scoop you up, and the crowds will go wild. Now, that is tempting, isn't it? That is tempting when all of my minute thoughts can be shared publicly and I can receive acclaim from people I don't even know. 
how wonderful would this be to cash in on my abilities to make money? This has a YouTube channel written all over it. People will go and view and give you money, and you may be famous. By the way, I didn't just indict you if you have a YouTube channel. I just want you to think how tempting this would be for each one of us. But Jesus doesn't do that. And in fact, Jesus could correct the words of Psalm 91, but Jesus doesn't do that either. Jesus shows fame not in the direction of self, but in the direction of God. And Jesus sticks with Deuteronomy chapter 6. Why does He do that? Why not go to Psalm 91 and have a hermeneutical interpretive dialogue with the devil describing why he has messed up Psalm 91? Jesus doesn't do that, and he doesn't do that for a reason, because the setting of Deuteronomy 6 is exactly what Jesus wants us to understand. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a reference to a time when people distrusted God's care, and they tested Him. Deuteronomy chapter 6 quotes Exodus chapter 17, which is a story when the people threaten to kill Moses if he doesn't give him water. Give me water or you die. That's what happens in Exodus chapter 17. And God calls that testing him. God promised to care for them. And he gave to them a rescuer in Moses. And they say to the rescuer, give water or die. And Jesus wants to stay with that picture. And he stays in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he says that testing is using God's grace for personal gain. That's why that event that took place in Exodus chapter 17, when the people refused to trust God and instead would use the blood of Moses in order to get water so that their thirst would be satiated, the place that that happened was called Massah, testing. And Jesus stays in Deuteronomy 6. There's something about testing that he wants us to understand. And Jesus says it is said in Deuteronomy 6. Notice that. It is said It's almost as if the devil says it is written and Jesus employs a new word that's closer, more intimate. Not only is it written, it is said. Intimate communication. We are not to test God. We are instead to trust God. And Jesus, though He is full of the Spirit, though He is pleasing to God, refuses to cash in on those gifts. In fact... Let me challenge you with this, and if you disagree, we can talk afterwards. Jesus really did throw himself off of a precipice, didn't he? Now, not the one that the devil set him upon, but he threw himself off of a precipice. Not knowing how God would provide for him, he refused to trust in his own gifts and abilities. He trusted God. He trusted God in his hunger. He refused to turn the stones into bread. He's throwing himself over the edge. I want to address just Christians this morning. I really want us to be encouraged by our Lord and Savior when he does this. And I want you to understand very clearly that trusting God very often is a matter where your own ignorance is before your eyes. You don't know how exactly God is going to provide for you. Everything about you is in his hands, and that should feel like throwing yourself over a precipice. That is frightening. That is painful. But this is what our Lord and Savior does for our salvation. 
He trusts God. He doesn't get a cash value for his skills. He doesn't spin. He doesn't needle his way out of a difficult problem through pragmatic means. He simply does what Psalm 91.2 tells him to do. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Trusting God is, is, off, is an awful lot like throwing ourselves over a precipice, isn't it? But Jesus will not seek fame in the direction of self, but fame in the direction of God. Why? Why? What is the biblical purpose of Jesus' fame? Jesus refuses to make a name for Himself. And God makes a name for Him. He refuses to make a name for himself, but God makes a name for him. Why? Uh, There's a couple of things you should know. Uh, Jesus, as he is trusting God, he's actually showing that he is God's word. When Jesus trusts God, he's showing that this word that he is trusting in is actually him. Everything in the Old Testament Scriptures are about Jesus. And as Jesus looks to the Word and goes no further than God's Word, He's saying to us that that Word is me. That plan is me. We're the same. I echo it. It prepares for me. Jesus is showing us in this temptation the role that He plays in God's Word. He's the fulfillment of all of God's Word. Jesus also, that's the first thing, He's showing that He is God's Word, but He's also showing how salvation is earned. Verse 13 is very challenging. Verse 13 says, The devil ended every temptation. What do you suppose that means? The devil ended every temptation. Now, there will be a time when the devil tempts Jesus at the cross, and that's in our passage here. But when we read in verse 13 that the devil ended every temptation, we need to understand that our Lord and Savior took every arsenal of the devil on himself. Everything that the devil had, the fullness of his ability to tempt Jesus, Jesus took. All of it was thrusted at him. No one here can say, yeah, but you know what? I've been tested in a way that Jesus hasn't. Maybe the circumstances are different. But the devil's at his wit's end. He offered the best he had. His entire arsenal. But Jesus continued to trust. And so Jesus is showing us that he is God's word, but he's also showing us how salvation is earned. Let me conclude by going back to that interview with David Cross, who says that everyone wants to be famous. And let me just say to you this morning, if uh, uh, those of you who are here who are Christians, my brother, my sister, you are famous. You're famous. Jesus trusted God. And he received all glory. And we rejoice because we share in that glory. The glory that Jesus receives is a glory that we are are recipients of ourselves. And we please God when we boast in the glory that Jesus receives because that glory is our own. When you stand before God, God doesn't see your sins. God sees the glory of his Son The Son was with God at creation, and His purpose was to receive God's glory. And then through the history of the world, all Scriptures describe the coming of God's glory in Jesus Christ. And He has come, and we have beheld Him. He has been portrayed to us, and He died for us on the cross, and He will one day receive you into His fold, and you'll know who you are. You 
are famous. And so am I. But not because of what I have done. And you're not famous because of what you have done. We're famous because our Lord and Savior trusted God. And He received all glory. And in Christ Jesus, that glory is your glory. Christian, welcome to fame. Let me pray for us. We're going to baptize a little baby. Let's pray together. Our Father, we... (laughs) What a bundle of contradictions we are, Father. Chasing after fame. Chasing after uh, being uh, acclaimed by the world. Father, thank you for making us famous. And thank you for doing it in such a way that that fame will never be withheld, never be stolen from us, and we'll never lose it by our sin. Father, thank you for making us famous in Christ. In His name and for His glory, we're here. Amen.